One of our favorite things to do here at Beyond Healing Center is therapeutic retreats. Our retreats are three to five days with holistic wraparound services, all designed to meet your personal needs and goals. You can choose from a menu of services, including EMDR, trauma-informed massage, nervous system-informed yoga and movement, and even equine therapy. From the moment you arrive to the moment you leave, we've crafted this experience to be one of safety and healing. Whether you're interested in a retreat for yourself, or if you're a therapist interested for a client, we would love to talk to you about how our retreats can be a part of a healing journey. Contact our retreat coordinator at therapy at beyondhealingcenter.com or visit our website at beyondhealingcenter.com for more information. Welcome to Beyond Trauma, a podcast from therapists for clients about the healing journey. We hope this will be a resource of encouragement, comfort, insight, and understanding for you along this courageous process. Welcome back to Beyond Trauma, a guide for your healing journey. We're here in the studio today with the three of us, Melissa, Jen, and Bridger, and we have a fun episode. Well, I don't know about the fun. Interesting. Oh, I think it's fun. <laughs> it's fun to us. Yes. Today we're going to be talking about attachment and the nervous system. That mm. is fun. I know. It, it is, is really fun. Really, really interesting. Because yeah, both of those are universal to human beings. That's right. Yeah. And if you have ever been a child, it's going to be relevant to you. If you... Or if you've ever had uh, someone larger than you taking care of you. That's true. Right. Which is everyone, hopefully. Hopefully. And also, if you are a parent or plan on being a parent, this is going to be super relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we're going to talk about that today. But before we do, we want to share a resource with you guys. Yes. So, Bridger. so we've been spending a lot of time uh, kind of behind the scenes, uh, really trying to discover what's the best way to build community around this podcast, mm-hmm. around Beyond Trauma specifically, because this isn't the only one that we do, mm-hmm. which is some people don't know that. So um, with Beyond Trauma's Patreon, which is a platform that we use to kind of engage listeners and other uh, content creators uh, that want to support our um, creative efforts in this podcast, we want to figure out the ways to um, kind of get resources out there available to clients that can really make use of um make use of those resources and uh, find benefit uh, in their life. And so we're doing a lot to kind of uh, build up the tiers that are available on Patreon. And so we uh, are going to uh, be releasing new content and kind of rebuilding the whole page uh, just to make it really accessible and usable for for patrons. So full of good resources, full chock full Mm -hmm. of good resources. Um, and so we would love to invite you to partner with us on Patreon. And that is, uh, you can find us by uh, just doing, just Googling like Beyond Trauma Podcast Patreon or going straight to Patreon and typing in Beyond Trauma Podcast. Mm-hmm. And then there's going to be, uh, you'll see multiple tiers available to you that you can uh, choose to sign up at any, and any level is helpful, but the different tiers are going to get you different uh, kind of access Benefits. to content. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we would love to have you as a part of our Beyond Trauma family, and uh, we hope to see you there. Yeah, so go visit patreon.com slash podcast. All right, so let's get into uh, our topic for today, which is attachment and the nervous system. So I'm curious, like, where do you guys, because this is a big topic, right? So what do we feel like is uh, kind of the most listener-friendly entry point into this gigantic topic? I want to start at the very, very beginning of how how does our culture in general experience attachment or think of attachment? Mm -hmm. So when we hear someone say the word attachment, where do our brains typically go to first and then trying to redefine that and getting down to what are the roots of what is actually attachment? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm curious in the way you say that, what, what do you hear people talking about that makes you think like, Oh, that's, Maybe that's not quite what I yeah. mean, and mm-hmm. here's how I want to redefine it. Like, what do you know in your experience that says this is something that is prevalent in the culture and that I want mm-hmm. to kind of spend some time redefining? I hear it talked a lot about in terms of relationship now, mm. like in the present day. Mm. So experiencing attachment to a person or I feel overly attached to them mm. or mm-hmm. I'm not looking to get attached or oh, yeah. like a, a lot in the here and the now relationship mm-hmm. as well as attachment to things attachment mm. to experiences 
and and I'll say as kind of a foreshadow that all roots back into what attachment really, really is right. like how and, and why we do those things comes from what attachment really is but it's so much deeper and more vast than the idea of what am I just experiencing um, right now or a, a reliance on someone mm-hmm. or a love for someone or, or um, an infatuation of someone mm-hmm. it's much deeper and broader than that well, and I feel like in those examples that you gave with all of them, there's a little bit of a feeling of negativity with yes. that idea, yeah. almost this idea that as an adult, we shouldn't be too attached to things. Mm-hmm. That Clingy. it is, Yeah, yes, mm-hmm. it's a, a sign of neediness or weakness. Um, and, you know, Bridger and I just reviewed a an article where it was talking about our cultural struggle with the idea of dependency. Yeah, what that yeah. actually means. And, yeah, yeah. And, and this kind of tension of on one hand it's such a felt need that we all have it's a craving that we have but then we also have this cultural attitude of uh independence not being too attached dependency is stigmatized yes yeah you can't be dependent yeah yeah or it's a it's a sign of immaturity oh yes absolutely and so when we feel our own craving for attachment and um, maybe even feel some sense of dependency of i kind of need this person or i need this thing um, we tend to not like it in ourselves we think it's something that needs to be uh, fixed it's an Mm. immature aspect of our personality to say i need that yeah i'm attached to it um, you know, I think of like little kids with their lovey blanket or stuffed mm-hmm. animal, mm-hmm. right? It's their attachment thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that they are supposed to grow out of. Right, right. Yes. Yeah. No, no 37 year old woman still sleeps with a tiny pink cat. I'm just, or, what? Yeah, they <laughs> do, what? just don't tell anybody. <laughs> oh, see. Oh, sorry. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, yeah. enough of self-disclosure. <laughs> but yeah, I think that we culturally just have this attitude that um, attachment is something that is immature and mm. that we're supposed to grow out of it and that we don't need it as an, as an adult. Um, and then kind of going to that other point that you made, Jen, that we tend to put it in the category of love relationships as an adult. We view it through the lens of, you know, maybe it's okay if I get attached to my romantic partner. Um, and so there's just kind of a lot of confusion about what is it actually, and even more so, what is it supposed to be? And is there any version of it that's actually okay and healthy for us? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think that takes us to where does it begin? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is from minute one of existence. Mm-hmm. Yes, like that's right. It begins at the very, very beginning. And so when we when we explore the deeper roots, when we talk about attachment now, <clears throat> we're referring to more of how does it show up. Right. In kind of the mental health field, when we talk about attachment and the nervous system, we're really looking at where did it begin and how did it shape who we are, yeah. which is manifesting and how it's showing yeah. up. How now. did it shape who we are as the building blocks of who we are. And that's kind of the way that I couch it for clients is kind of in three um, sort of primary components um, that then build into, this is about human uh, creation, like building you, Mm -hmm. building your brain basically. And then how, how your personality shows up on top of that. And so the three kind of components that I go into are uh, just validating and recognizing that human beings are by nature, some of the most vulnerable creatures Mm -hmm. on earth for the first few years of their life, if not more. And what that means is that there are, that there needs to be um, something in place that's going to get us access to the resources that we need. Mm -hmm. Because we're so vulnerable and we can't do things on our own, we need uh, an attachment figure or a parent figure to get us, um, to keep us alive, to get us the resources that we need to, to make sure that we're fed and and clothed and clean Mm -hmm. and, um, taken care of and, and monitored. Um, so that we can continue to grow and have the experiences that we need to. So that's kind of the, go ahead. So this is a random like science aside, just because I find it fascinating. Mm. Do you guys know why that is? Like why we are born so dependent? It's the price we pay for being bipedal. Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yes. if you guys have never heard about this, you know, one of the, the major differentiations between other primates and humans is we walk on two legs. Yes. Um, we have to be upright. Exclusively, yes. yes. And the price that we paid for that um, in our evolution is that our pelvis got smaller mm-hmm. uh, in order to be able to stand upright like that. And, uh, and because we have these tiny pelvises now in comparison <laughs> to our other primate cousins, uh, we have to have smaller babies, yeah. which means less mature babies. And, you know, if you look at our closest cousins like chimpanzees, they're born with the grasp ability 
um, already in place and they respond so that they can cling on to their mom mm-hmm. and, you know, be carried around. And so even these tiny little primates um, are born with a lot more ability than a human primate. We are like completely helpless. Mm-hmm. We can't hold on on our own, Mm -hmm. which is like the first thing that we develop, you know, and so that to me is just this really fascinating evolutionary thing that happened where we paid this super interesting price for, I have a three word alliteration. Okay. The plight of primal pelvis. (laughs) 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 Yeah. (laughs) So if we did, If we did blooper reels, which we don't and totally should, this, this would be edited out and put on that. But instead, you guys are going to get to enjoy it. And- That's how my brain works. So welcome to it. Yes. So now that we've taken that fun little National Geographic side trail. Um, what? It's called the plight of primal pelvis. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, that. Um, it's an evolutionary story of our codependence. Didn't you know that? That's right. And because of that, because of that particular plight, um, we have developed other strategies of getting our needs met, which is w- where the human attachment patterns come from. Because when we're born as these little tiny, you know, worms of a human that can do literally mm-hmm. nothing other than yell, um, that is our one skill that we're equipped with when we're born. Um, and oh, latch, we can do latch. Mm-hmm. Um, besides those two not things, not very strong, not, not very strong, and sometimes not we to still hold our need own help. weight. Yeah. No, I mean a nursing latch. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Um, okay. And so. Because of that, we have developed some really interesting mechanisms of securing and making sure that our needs are met because we can't do it. Mm -hmm. So when we think about attachment from the neurobiological and psychological perspective, what we're talking about is the strategies that the human nervous system had to develop Mm -hmm. in order to make sure that we as tiny little helpless babies still get our needs met because we can't do it ourselves. That's what attachment is. Yes, and that goes into the completely dependent nature. Yes that we uh, exist inside of um, for, like I said, the first few years, if not more, of our life. And that means, so if we're, if you're kind of just imagining the dynamic between a completely dependent infant and their caregiver, Mm -hmm. a lot of times it's a mother, but not always. So we just kind of make sure to say primary caregiver. Mm -hmm. That relationship needs to be a cohesive one. Mm -hmm. It has to work. What does cohesive mean? Yeah, it has to... It, it has to be one that is going to stand the stress of that dependence as well as be um, consistent over time. So it has to it, it has to meet the needs of the infant while also pleasing the caregiver enough so that the caregiver doesn't reject the dependent. And it sounds crazy to think about that of just like, well, why wouldn't a mother or father or primary caregiver take care of an infant? But that's the story of mm-hmm. so many. So many. And then also, it's not just whether or not they were taken care of, but how they were taken care of that starts to form uh, the building blocks of our brain and how we see ourselves and how we see other people and see relationships and and on and on and on. Well, and I think, you know, one of the one of the struggles that we have in conceptualizing our own nervous system is that we we often forget that we are a full mammal organism, Mm -hmm. which means that our nervous system is created to adapt to the environment that we're put in. So yeah, it's hard for us to imagine a loving parent not meeting the needs of the child. Yeah. But our body is not thinking about, does my mommy love me, mm-hmm. right? That's that's not what's happening. There are a million reasons why the human nervous system has chosen these particular paths to secure care in situations where the best case scenario is not available. And it may not be because mom doesn't love me. It can be because mom died in childbirth because that used to be real common. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's still Mm -hmm. relatively common, more common than it should be. And so in a world where my primary caregiver who would have the natural biological impulse to care for me, because it's not a sure thing that she's going to be around, how is my nervous system going to work with my environment to ensure that somebody's going to step in and take care of me? That is part of our evolution as a human being is that we had to solicit care from whomever was available, yes. even we, when best case scenario wasn't there. We, we had to have abilities to be able to yes. solicit that care. Yes. And those are attachment behaviors that we talk about. We have this way of, of sort of expressing our needs to those that could meet them. Right. Yeah. 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 And in all of this, I really want to drive home the point of it's it starts out, it's a survival. 
It's all about survival. Yes, it's about survival and being able to get through to the very next thing. It's not about the love. When we think about attachment with our our babies, we're Mm -hmm. thinking about that warm, nurturing, cozy Oxytocin type of love. But it really is before that even happens. It is just survival-based from Mm -hmm. the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I really like and kind of want to highlight that distinction. Attachment is not about love. Attachment is about safety. Mm Mm-hmm. And if we understand that it's about safety and remove the entanglements that we have with love and romance and all of that, some of the things that we experience start to make a lot more sense. Mm. Why do I panic the way that I do in the face of rejection? Is it because I think this person isn't going to love me? No, it's because your nervous system is really concerned that you're not going to get to eat. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. If I think it's like if cognitively I reach the point of, oh, I may not be loved or accepted, beyond that it It goes goes deeper. To say that means I will then not survive or I will not be safe. Yeah, because if somebody doesn't love me, that means they don't accept me. If they don't accept me, will anyone accept me? And if no one accepts me, I'll be alone. And if I'm alone, I'll die. I'll die. Because we used to be completely dependent on each other. And you guys, we we were dependent on on each other even as adults. Absolutely. Because we did not survive as a singular organism. You're talking about in evolution. Yes. Yes. Yeah. In harsh environments. Yes. And that is why even now, even though we have everything, I mean, you can sit in your home and never see another human thanks to Amazon um, and have everything that you could potentially need if you have the finances for it. Your, Your human body could survive in perpetuity without any contact. However, we don't. It is so fundamental mm. to to the nature of who we are that our body reacts as if we're dying, even to the degree that our health deteriorates really quickly when we don't have interaction with other humans because it is so programmed into our nervous system to be in a group. We are a herd mammal. And that helps us make sense of why do we react so strongly to social rejection yeah. when right. I know that it can't kill me? Well, do you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You do cognitively, but the rest of you is not convinced that you can actually survive alone. Yeah. So one of the one of the leaps I want us to make really explicit is how do we get from talking about attachment to talking about the nervous system? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the it's same all thing. Connected. <laughs> it's all connected, but we have to say why. Because right. we it's so intuitive to us, but... Mm-hmm one the nervous system is a part of like my spinal cord so i don't know what you guys are talking about mm-hmm. uh, like that's one of the responses that mm-hmm. we don't often easily see the link right. between the attachment structure mm-hmm. the attachment system and the nervous system so i want us to spend some time kind of really just teasing so how, how deep are we going here because i don't this... know jen i'm <laughs> looking feels at you like a, i know jen is our grounding force keep it practical guys yeah. i think we can go as deep as we need to go as long as we bring it back to um yeah more practical mm-hmm. piece right. of how that makes sense so i'll give my way in to this conversation that i use with clients okay. which is okay so if we have this dynamic going on where the infant needs to be certain uh, or at least certain enough that their caregiver, whoever it might be, is going to meet their needs. If that's the dynamic we're talking about, we have this thing called a nervous system, which is going to give us the various types of energy that we need to secure those relationships. Mm-hmm. And that can look like the different type of anxious uh, energy or, or mobilized energy, as we come to call it. Uh, through our sympathetic nervous system that's going to give us that let's get up and go find it let's find mom let's find dad or let's find the caregiver and let's convince them or or just get their attention so that they can they can make sure that they see our needs and meet that and meet that need hopefully yeah that's going to give us a better opportunity but if we can't find that uh if we can't find that person to uh, ask or to convince them to get our needs met, um, we need another strategy as well. And so we have uh, some shutdown type of energy mm-hmm. that is going to help us seem less needy that we might uh, still convince our primary caregiver to stay around. And in the staying around, we could probably get our needs met too. Right. We learn what behaviors our caregiver likes best what and responds to yes, best. What are acceptable and what are not acceptable. Right. right. So if if mom is okay if I cry a little, but only a little, and it yeah. has to be kind of short and to the point. Yeah. But if I go on too long, mom seems to get irritated and actually want to be farther away from me. I'm going to yeah. learn, okay, cry for a cup, but then you got to clean it up yeah. because she's not going to stay around. She's going to tell you to go to timeout if you yeah. keep doing that. Yes. And so we learn really fast what amount of emotional expression is tolerated and responded to. 
and maybe which different emotions yes, get different exactly. responses. Yes, and that's all based on your nervous system. Mm-hmm. Like your nervous system is what regulates your your energy within your body. Regulates and also records those experiences. Exactly, and for it's future those, use. Yes, yes. It's, the, it's those records, those memories of those experiences that we don't have explicit, meaning I'm not thinking, remember that time when I was two and a half when mom did it? No, or we're not doing that. when I was... Uh, half a year old right That's what i was gonna right. say i was yeah. three months old <laughs> so far back that that learning isn't necessarily like thought based as far yeah, as like oh i'm making sense of and this is what i need it's to sensory. do different that is being learned as an infant in a crib who's crying mm-hmm. and and, yeah. and no one comes and so they cry louder yeah and then no one comes and they cry even louder and then their nervous system says you are going to lose all of your energy Crying. You must sustain it. Nobody's coming. You need to survive and and hold on to the injury so the baby stops crying. Learns to stop yes. crying. That moment they learned that without any cognitive ability to make sense of that or when they're 45, talk about it. Yes, and exactly. That, and that's not a cognitive process on the part of the child. They don't no. even have you know a prefrontal cortex yet to think through it in that yeah. way. Mm-hmm. But we have a part of our brain that is a energy regulation system that mm-hmm. is monitoring how much available energy and resources do we have that's right and it's constantly paying attention to resources expenditure survival and all of that and so that happens spontaneously in the child and then whatever happens in the environment as a result gets recorded in the nervous system and makes whatever survival strategy worked which by the way if we're alive our nervous system believes that it worked yes it did work (laughs) it did work it's proof proof yeah which that means that our bar for evidence of what survival strategies we should continue is really pretty low and that gets recorded in our nervous system and makes that reaction pattern more likely and as we develop as a human being those strategies get more intricate and more developed and and we keep recording them because they are so intertwined with our survival and our belief that it's because of the strategy that we survived they become almost inarguable Mm To it's the just the system. way things are. Yeah, this yeah. is a reality. Mm-hmm. What do you mean it could be different? Yeah. So that's why in, you know, you fast forward to contemporary relationships that you're in and it's not going well, it, it, it feels like there's no other option. Right. It feels like, I don't know, I can't understand why I'm not getting, why, why people aren't nice to me or why people seem to think I'm crazy mm-hmm. or why um, I just don't uh, know how to make sense of my emotions and things like that because all of that is related to attachment right. in the nervous system. Right. Or the idea that someone could willingly meet my emotional needs for free without me having to do X, Y, and Z. If I have always had to... That doesn't exist. No, (laughs) clearly not. Um, If that was not our lived experience as a child, we have no template for that. Yeah. And template is something that we talk about a lot with the nervous system. And it's super connected to attachment because it's our attachment experiences early in life that make those templates. Yeah, that's right. That create those in our nervous system and produce our reaction patterns, our behavioral patterns. Mm -hmm. And those patterns come directly from the past. And oftentimes they feel like a mismatch to the present moment. Yeah. But our body is simply using the templates that were created in us early, early in life. Yeah. And those templates are so stable because they were created so early and um, that's when our, you know, our brain and our nervous system is developing so quickly. And later in life, it's harder to change because we don't have as much flexibility in our in our brains anymore. Yeah. It can still change. And I, I want to make yeah. it very clear. Yeah. Things can still change, but we don't have the same neurogenesis, which means the ability to make new brain cells and make new connections. It's the at its best when we're tiny. And mm. as we get older, it simply slows down. It doesn't stop. Right. And I think making that point of the hope or the understanding that can come of understanding all of this that says this is why I do what I do or this Mm -hmm. is why I feel stuck where I feel stuck there is still the hope that because of neuroplasticity our brains can continue to change rewire but Mm -hmm. the earlier the template was created and the longer I have relied on it the harder it will be to change yes those grooves are deeper yes because it means I need really intentional Mm -hmm. focus and work it's not just going to like naturally grow out of it this helps explain why therapy can be so hard Mm -hmm. because and I try to validate my client's experience of this um in why it's so hard to change these really old patterns it's because, not because you're broken or no, dumb or no, not no. good enough. No, it's because 
those strategies are protected. Yeah. They have to be. If we wandered around the world all the time um, thinking, having to consider really small things like, what if I express this and a person rejects me? Mm-hmm. And we have to go down that long mm-hmm. line of, well, then I'm going to end up dead. Mm-hmm. If we had to do that for every single behavior, no way. No way. So our brain says, don't worry about it. I got it. I will create shortcuts for virtually everything. Well, if you I'm, don't even get to think about no, it, I'll just no, do it for you. Exactly. That's what it's saying. And I say the brain says deep in the brain, <laughs> like the nervous system is saying to other parts of the lower brain, like, um, don't worry about it. I've recorded all of these templates so that we can just jump to the reaction that kept us alive before because that's, right. that's what worked. Why would we change it? So no, we're not going to even be open to it changing because it worked and we know it did. These things are almost as automatic as breathing as breathing or mm-hmm. blinking mm-hmm. swallowing mm-hmm. yeah you don't have to think about oh there's something in my eye i should blink extra like that happens so automatically without right. any thought now you can do it consciously if you want to but your nervous system does it automatically and these reaction patterns that we're talking about are housed in the same space yeah yeah one of the um analogies that i use for my clients is if they imagine they have um a set of blue like beads and a set of uh, red beads Mm -hmm. and they have this little container that they need to fill up and every time that in their life they had to have more energy in their system to go get their needs met they put a red pebble into the bowl every time that they had to have a blue or a uh, shutdown response Mm. they use the blue bead and as you see that going over and over and over again of well i had to use more anxious energy Mm -hmm. i had to be really worried and and fearful it becomes more red than it does blue and also Mm -hmm. if the uh, the opposite is true Mm -hmm. well i had to have i couldn't express my feelings at all right i had to be shut down a lot of the time i had to be shut down Mm -hmm. now we have a overwhelmingly blue jar Mm -hmm. and that can help them make sense of why they feel shut down even today when it's about the past Mm -hmm. they have a mostly blue jar so this is your this is your kind of resting state is okay. shut down and dismissive of your feelings and and probably depressed mm-hmm. and sluggish and forgetful and all the things that go along with yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, where the opposite is true. Why am I angry all the time? Mm-hmm. Why, am Why am I, I so anxious, anxious yeah. all the time? Yeah. Why do I worry about things that I know I shouldn't worry about? Right. Yeah. Well, now we have this mostly red jar mm-hmm. to look at, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 So I'm curious when you guys think about you know, these attachment strategies that our nervous system develops and the way they start to show up in our adult life. Um, How does that feel to you guys practically? Like when you're talking to people about why is this relevant to Mm -hmm. our healing work? Why is this relevant to being self-compassionate and maybe even compassionate to other people? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Where do you guys see this as uh, a really relevant part of our healing journey? It's hard to not just say everywhere. Yeah, it's everything. Everywhere every and single, everything. Every single thing. Right. Everything. Yeah. So that's not a very good answer. No, no. We'll go deeper than that, guys. Don't worry. Yes. We'll nuance it. One that just immediately comes to mind um, is as a parent. Oh, so gosh. Yeah. I know. I'm sitting here oh, thinking, yeah. like, what do I need to say to make all of the moms out there I feel know. a little bit better? Yes, parents, it's okay. But in parenting, um, not just in what influence are we having on our kids' development and their nervous system shaping, but how are they activating ours? Mm-hmm. Um, because that is a very like intimate relationship where that's going to come up. We are going to parent from our own attachment experiences. That's going to be where our instincts are. I have the experience as a mom all the time where I've got my, you know, my prefrontal cortex telling me, okay, this is what you are supposed to say and do with your child. And then I'm like watching myself from out of my body saying, why are you saying that? (laughs) That's awful. Like, why are you doing that? Why are you looking at them like that? Where it's like, my nervous system is wired to respond and to do a certain thing. And I know in my therapist's brain, like, that's bad. Stop. I I know. Oh, man. So I have a funny story. So I'm talking to a friend last night and my daughter, who is three and a half, is present. And I'm saying something to my friend that apparently my tone was a little harsh. And Honora, who's three and a half, she looks at me and she says, Mommy, what you just said was mean. 
Oh. And I say to her, do you understand what I just said? And she said, no, but I can tell it was mean. Oh. Like, oh my God. <laughs> because they are so sensitive so to the weird. tone. Yeah, right? mommy and, doesn't use that tone. Right. Unless the, she's the mad. The face, yes. It was all about like the face I was using and the tone and the body language and all of that. And I was saying something with hyperbole, right, to, to my friend. It probably was a little harsh, to be honest. And so I was uh, confronted by my three-year-old. That's cool. Um, but I think, I think as parents, part of what feels really relevant about that is remembering that it's not just the words that we say, but it's the feeling that's happening between us and our mm-hmm. child because they don't know what our words mean mm-hmm. half the time, especially when they're really little. But they know what our face means. Yes. They know what our body language means, what our tone means. If you think about your puppies, right? They have no idea what you're saying, but somehow the message gets across just yeah. fine, yeah. right? And it's because they're so sensitive to those other things. And so last night I had a perfect object lesson of oh yeah my tone and my body language matters way more than the words that's communicating everything she needs to know about how mommy is feeling Mm -hmm. (laughs) as you brought up the puppies uh for the cat people um they do understand your message they just don't care care (laughs) bridger would know he's a cat (laughs) they just don't care about that Uh (laughs) they say no i'm I'm getting it but i don't really care i I hear your tone but i've got a tone of my own no you have a tone do you Good luck with that. That's what cats say all the time. Good luck um, with that. Yes. So parenting is one very relevant piece of how is what does attachment and security look like in our kids, but then also what is it bringing out, like the way we parent, right. its roots are from our attachment experiences yes. and mm-hmm. how it's been shaped throughout our life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For me, it just comes up in uh, my version of everything, which is mm-hmm. um, in, in relationships, even including your relationship with yourself. Yes. Mm-hmm. How you're understanding that. And um, how you're maneuvering through those really complex kind of situations. One thing we haven't talked about yet that we're going to get into more next week is that these experiences, these attachment experiences, shape the way you even understand information. Yeah, the way that your brain processes information. The way you even understand what somebody means by hello. Mm -hmm. The tone, the voice, the eye contact, whatever it is, that is that way of understanding that is shaped through attachment experiences right. in the nervous system. Yeah. We'll talk much more about that, but I, I say that now because for me, we have to understand and, and have just an active attention on uh, attachment and the way our nervous system was recruited mm-hmm. to um, meet the needs of our, uh, of ourself in our environment. Right. Yeah. Right. So I think my practical thing is similar to both of yours, but just slightly, um, pointed in a different direction, which is if we are self-aware about our own attachment patterns and reactions Mm. and have even a pretty decent understanding of what my usual pattern is, that means that when I am having any kind of interpersonal situation and I feel myself move into my strategy, Right. So I can feel my nervous system gear up and go, oh, you want or need something from that person here. Let me help you out. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If I'm self-aware and can feel that happen and understand what's going on, I can make a conscious decision about whether I want to allow that reaction pattern to continue. So there's a, you know, a version of attachment called the preoccupied style. And... (laughs) Because it's my own, I can uh, own it. Oh, voice. <laughs> yeah, and we we have specific challenges in relationships, and uh, one of the things that comes up in the nervous system of somebody with this particular pattern is sort of this <laughs> desire to devour another human. Mm. Like, I would like to eat you, please. Lovingly, <laughs> I really care about you, but I need to extract resources from you, so come over here, please. Um, <laughs> And that's just my, <laughs> that's honest self-disclosure that for those of us with that style, that happens. The and word so... extract, I thought was so apt. Uh... Uh-huh. <laughs> I've never heard it explained like that. <laughs> I it want is, to teach you. Yes, is that please... true to the lived experience of you as a preoccupied? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And and like you can feel like, I think I'm not supposed to be doing this, but I really don't know any other way of doing this it. That's what I need. Yeah. So, I mean, okay, just one bite. Like I'll limit myself. Like not a full-on buffet situation. It's a diet situation. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to ration myself. Um, and so if anybody is relating to this, you probably are slightly preoccupied like myself. And this is a really, really common um, reaction pattern and attachment style for
for people that have a lot of attachment trauma in our history, especially if we had a chaotic environment, which I did. Um, and so if you're resonating with this, we can talk, just send me an email. But <laughs> when we, when I recognize that happening in that moment, and I feel that sort of rush of mm. energy and anxiety of, I need to reach out and get what I want from this person and figure out how to get them to give it to me. Yeah. I can feel that happen now and say, okay, take a breath. What if you calmly asked for mm. what you need? rather than moving into some kind of strategy and uh, oftentimes that can look like a manipulation as an adult what if i just told them hey i need some reassurance right now yeah would you be willing to give that to me (laughs) and i want to point back to the the origins of that which was that it was never safe no, to say that to before absolutely not no so you had to do the like let me i need to go out and take it yeah and then like yeah. Right. And, and you know, just for, for context for you guys, you know, I come from a family where it was one of those, we know that we love each other, but you never say it. I mean, that's like reserved for birthday cards about once every five years. The mm-hmm. I love you words, like those don't happen. Uh, hugs stop when you're three. And, that you know, so like affection is reserved. Well, I don't know, but it, it doesn't happen. <laughs> so, so for me with a lot of, I'm a really emotional person. That's a surprise. I know. Um, when I would want something or need something, I had to find a different strategy to get that attention and get yeah. that connection because I couldn't get it in a direct way. It was never going to come directly. So I have all kinds of fun strategies of extracting from mm-hmm. other people, some more pleasant for them than others. Um, and, but all of the different versions have their own flavor and their own ways of showing up. And when we know our own patterns, we can begin to make conscious decisions about, mm-hmm. do I want to keep running this old pattern? Mm-hmm. Is this actually how I want to show up in relationships or can I try something new? Mm-hmm. Can I try something that doesn't have such a high price to pay in relationships mm-hmm. or maybe is going to actually end up saving me a lot of energy? Yeah. Right. The song and dance that I usually do create or like requires quite a bit of energy. And what if I could skip that and just ask for what I need? Yeah. And, and I think what that can look like in real life is because the pattern happens on such a instinctual level Mm -hmm. it's not about being able to think and understand and then that stop and go away like oh i did some therapy i understand my attachment pattern i know i need to Mm -hmm. do different now it should be gone but it's about this gradual reshaping process of maybe i had the instinctual reaction but because of my awareness i can go back and say let me go correct that for a moment so i may have done the thing i always do but then come back and say i recognize i did that let me try asking you now And there's this kind of reshaping experience, not one time, not 10 times, not 10,000 times, but really repeating that over and over and finding safe relationships that you can practice that in and be really explicit about how vulnerable that feels and how scary that feels. And that is the move towards what's uh, commonly called secure attachment is when we can recognize the strategy and the kind of chaos that's in it. And uh, whether it be in the moment or afterwards or maybe long afterwards, reflect on it and say, I don't want to do that anymore. And so I'm going to try to learn how to better understand my own needs, the resources available Mm -hmm. to me, uh, knowing the boundaries I need, knowing the type of people that I need in my life to help me understand my boundaries Mm -hmm. and understand what I need and then move towards security. Um, Mel, you gave the example of the preoccupied as mm. a preoccupied. Would you like to give the uh, other end of the spectrum, Bridget? I will give the dismissive <laughs> as a dismissive. Um, so, you know, it's it's sort of uh, inside the same uh, problem situation as the preoccupied. For me, my life was characterized by, you know, I was an only child, and so I needed to have uh, kind of my own thing figured out uh, growing up on a farm. And then my mom uh, left me a couple different times in my life. And the first time that she left, um, I had this kind of internal reflective experience of when it's because you depended on her that this hurts so much. Mm-hmm. And so the quick way to solve this problem is just to not need anybody else. Right. And that's going to be made difficult because of your awareness of your needs. So we're going to cut off your awareness of your needs and uh, the fact that you need other people. We're going to cut both of those off. Um, So you're going to continue on in your life and things are going to be great because you're going to learn how to do everything you need to do for yourself. 
and meet all of your own needs, mm-hmm. take care of everything you want. And you can still be in relationship with other people, but ultimately they're going to leave at some point or another. Right. So better so to keep be them at, yeah, better to keep them at an arm's length mm-hmm. so that when they do, it doesn't hurt as bad. And you can understand that, you know what, whatever. And, and you can even, you know, give them enough of what feels like intimacy That's that right. they never really even Yeah, because I don't want to be alone. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's sort of this like pseudo faux intimacy but yes. for you the experience of it is still there's a back door and i'm ready to well, go well it's still one of paralyzing fear yeah because even in the little bit of intimacy that i could give i know that that's moving me closer to in greater vulnerability and that means that i could be wounded and if i'm wounded again i could die mm-hmm. so it's a terrifying experience to be in relationship for me as a dismissive because i'm always conscious that that could happen so the journey towards health is that i talk to good people in my life and say this isn't true and i'm right. i'm thinking it like so hard right, right like now. i need to check myself yeah 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 because i'm thinking it a lot yeah. and so i need to just check in with you is this actually true because i'm feeling like i should just cut people out of my life right now mm-hmm. and just be, continue doing my own thing mm-hmm. um and so I'm, a phrase that you've used before i can't trust this yeah Sound familiar? I don't say that. No, never, never. Yeah, no, you just can't trust it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Um, because you can't, and that's the The commitment of the dismissive. Because you learned that you couldn't. Yeah, really young, and that's exactly right. It's adaptive, and that you know, I self disclose, I self disclose that story to my clients all the time because I want them to see. For me, I understand. Even Mm. you know, I, I know what that was like for me. And how hard it was to ever believe that somebody else could care about me in a way that wasn't trying to manipulate or just abandon or hurt me, right. but that they could actually create a, a safe, caring, nurturing environment for me. Yeah. That is still a daily struggle mm-hmm. to believe that. So I feel like, you know, those really practical stories kind of bring up this other um, really practical pattern that we see a lot as therapists and you guys probably have experienced in your own life is that whatever your patterns are in attachment and in relating Mm -hmm. we end up attracting and partnering and being friends with people that have a complementary and i use that term very loosely yeah because it's not necessarily (laughs) for good no no complementary in the way that um opposites attract and not much good often comes out of it yeah or sometimes the same that's right strategy yes over and over and And sometimes the same strategy can be attracted to to one another absolutely dismissive with a dismissive it's just i mean that that happens yeah great you're over there and i'm over here and we can Mm -hmm. wave occasionally that's right we don't need each other this is going to be great yeah but i'm gonna leave probably and so are you oh and too preoccupied man that's a good time (laughs) jen's like high eyebrows face and so i think you know in adult relationships that's Often what we end up seeing is the challenge points is that these old, very childlike reaction patterns and attachment styles are showing up in our current relationships and we're wondering why they feel the way they feel Mm. um, because it's not actually our two adult selves relating to each other. It's these old child needs coming forward and saying, hey, this is the relationship where all these needs are supposed to get met, right? And it doesn't play out that way. Yeah. And there's a lot of pain around that. And so, you know, healing that and understanding our own reactions and patterns allows us to have um, much more mutual and reciprocal relationships as adults that end up being a lot more fulfilling. Yeah. So uh, I want to do two things as we kind of move towards closing Mm -hmm. the episode. The first is to talk about uh, the third insecure style. Right of uh attachment and then the fourth is to talk about what it means to move towards security Security, which is um kind of described by the four s's that we're going to get into yeah yeah (laughs) so the third insecure style you know mel talked about preoccupied i talked about dismissive um we have those strategies predominantly because they worked the most reliably that activation pattern for you, Mel, worked more mm-hmm. than did anything else. Mm-hmm. Mine worked more than anything else. But mm-hmm. sometimes we're put into situations in our life where we need to get even more creative. Right. We need a mixture of the preoccupied style and the dismissive style. And so we developed something called disorganized attachment. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll get more into trauma later. But this is a very frequent response to trauma because the expressing of needs and then the person that would meet the needs is the threat 
And so I have to get real creative with having, sometimes I'm completely shut down and dismissive, like I don't have any needs. Mm -hmm. Other times I am furious and I'm completely chasing after you. I am other in times, your face with my Other needs. times I'm seductive of your ability to meet my needs mm -hmm. and I'm trying to lure you into meeting my needs, but then I'm going to reject you because I'm sure you're going to hurt me. Right. If, it, if any of this is sounding familiar to your process or to somebody that you know, might have you might some be disorganized. Yeah, <laughs> some disorganized stuff going on. Um, it, it, it feels disorganized to the people that are around that yeah. individual, but for the person that's experiencing yes. it, the internal disorganization. Yes. I want it, yeah. want it, want it, but I can't let myself accept it. Yes, it can yes. be very frustrating. When it's yes. there, I reject the thing that I've been begging for yes. right in front of me. And it makes them, you know, in my experience of my clients and even in some of my personal relationships, it makes people feel crazy. Yes. Of like, I, you know, I, I, I'm, my mind is crazy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I want things, and then other times, like you said, Jen, when they get there, I reject them. Yeah. And I don't know why I do that. And for the other people in the relationship, it, again, feels they crazy. Feels yeah. crazy. And so they'll, yeah. they may say that out loud, which only further exaggerates because yeah. that message of your strategy isn't working is heard in the deepest part of our mm -hmm. brain. And it says, okay, more creativity, Ramp it I up. guess. Mm -hmm. Let's go to 12 mm -hmm. instead yep. of just 10. We're going to keep ramping it Double up. Double down. Yes, because I guess the strategy is not working. Yeah. And this isn't good. Yeah. We're trying, the, we're exercising the full flexibility yes. of our nervous system to try to meet the demands of our environment with our available resources. And it's not working. working. Yep. We need to get more creative. Let's get mm -hmm. more disorganized. Mm -hmm. Let's just ramp it up. Mm -hmm. And maybe that happens with the preoccupied too. The preoccupied is met with a, that's not working. Okay, well, let's go to disorganized, mm -hmm. the dismissive. It's not working. Yeah. Let's go to the disorganized. Yeah. Well, and there there is some cultural encouragement around this. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys have thought about this. Have you ever heard the phrase, play hard to get? Oh, absolutely. Right? Mm -hmm. This is a way that culturally <laughs> we encourage a disorganized attachment. You want it. But you can't admit that you want it. You got to pretend like you don't want it because yeah. then they're more likely to give it to you yep. if you pretend like you don't actually want it. Guys, we got an issue here. Yeah, yeah. It's not good. <laughs> not good at all. I, yeah. one of my oldest is a teenager and, and kind of parenting her through dating, mm. um, I realized how unhealthy of messages I had through my own dating yeah. of, of some of those thing, things yeah. like, oh, you know, like she's asking advice, I'm like, well, don't message him too soon. I'm like, right. Whoa. What am I saying? I sound like you, you're, one you're of saying play hard to get. <laughs> yes, yeah, I know. Don't I act know. too interested. Know, yes, and yeah. it's just like that aha moment of when I hear myself say that out loud to my child. I'm like, that's Whoa. really messed up. <laughs> I think I need I to check really in with my own reaction. I was pretty proud pattern. of that when filing, I was young. Yeah, filing that away. Yeah. I need to talk to my friends later about that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we'll do it in public on a podcast because right, that's not? how we process mm -hmm. things. Hey, apparently, yeah. <laughs> I support you. Yeah, yeah. But you I accept me. Uh, Absolutely. I do, I do think there's a lot of cultural messaging around this, and yeah. as a culture, we have a disorganized attachment. Absolutely. Style. Like we yeah. we are all over the freaking place when it comes to what is okay, what is not okay, what is the best way, etc. And at the end of the day, the best way is safety in relationship. And that's where we want to end yes. and kind of give the, the path forward yeah. of we've shared all the ways that this can go wrong. Yeah. And there's still <laughs> does it go right? increasing complexity within that. It's yeah. not, these aren't clean categories. No. Um, you know, you're not always dismissive. You're not always preoccupied. You're not always disorganized and you're not always secure. Right. This is about resources within yourself mm -hmm. to get your needs met. Mm -hmm. And so it's beautifully adaptive, but we need to understand it because just like, you know, you don't play with fire, you respect it. Right. If you play with it, you could get hurt. Mm -hmm. But if you respect it, you can use it and it can enrich your life. Right. That's the same thing with your nervous system and your attachment strategies. You're going to be able to find the access to the resources and to negotiate uh, a mutual fulfillment of those needs with other people mm -hmm. if you understand how it can go wrong and what your proclivity is to make that happen. So we described the first three uh, insecure styles. And so that is when our access to understanding our own needs and the resources that we need to accomplish that, negotiating that with caregivers is not reliably met. But sometimes when it all goes right, mm -hmm. it is. It's beautiful. And that's called secure attachment. Right. Secure attachment is characterized by um, knowing your own needs, feeling uh, permission and right to share them, and to believe that other people can acknowledge 
and recognize your needs and then help you meet them. Mm-hmm. It is safe to ask for what you need in a direct way. Yes. And your experience has taught you that you can reasonably predict that those needs are going to be met freely and willingly. Yeah. Regularly. Yes. For for your health. Mm-hmm. Safe to even have the need in the first exactly. place. Mm-hmm. Like it's acceptable to have needs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And doesn't that sound so beautiful? Mm-hmm. It, it's it might sad. sound scary to some. It sounds terrifying <laughs> to me. Uh, I'm choosing to be open to it okay. because it does sound really beautiful, That's and good. I hope it for all of my clients. Yeah. So we mentioned the four S's, yes. which comes from one of our favorite authors that we recommend to everybody. I'll let you say his name, Pritchard. <laughs> the honorable, the amazing, the wonderful, the interpersonal, <laughs> Dr. Dan Siegel. That's right. You should see the expression of his face where it's pure, pure love. Yes, yes. Adoration was yes. where I was going. We're in a we're Safe in an energetic space. relationship. <laughs> Dr. Dan Siegel. Yeah, and I. Uh, Dr. Siegel doesn't know about that energetic no, relationship. Will. Someday. I'm confident. I'm manifesting that. <laughs> I'm sending it to him. That's right. But he gave us the four S's. Yes. And the four S's of secure attachment, which is safe, soothed, seen and secure. That's right. So we want to share just a little bit about what each of those means, because that these are the four yeah. fundamental experiences that we need as a human to yeah. feel really safe in yes. connection with other people. So starting with that word safe. safe. Yeah, it, it, it's the feeling of um, sheltering or being sheltered and protected mm-hmm. from harm and threat. Not that no harm or threat exists in our environment at all, but we have a somebody that yeah. wants to and is willing and is available to shelter us from the natural threats in our environments. That That is the feeling of safety. Yeah. And it's the, the experience of even in my big feelings and my unpredictability and my chaos, I know that because of my partnership with another, that I can have them yeah. and we're still going to be okay. Yeah. 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 We can manage whatever comes up, whether yeah. it's an internal threat, an internal pain, or it's an external threat. That's right. And in those most vulnerable moments, down to like when I'm sleeping, when I'm sick, if I were to be injured, Mm -hmm. if I was struggling, if I, you know, you still know that there, you can rely on maintaining safety, um, even in the vulnerable moments of life. Yeah. And I think uh, that leads really well to me into scene, Mm -hmm. um, which is that this internalized belief that... um, others can see me in my feelings and in mm-hmm. my needs without me having to demand or try to convince someone else to help me get them. Right. They just see. Yeah. And, yeah. and I don't know, just speaking personally, it's only been very recently and then prior to that, very seldomly that I've actually felt seen without having to say anything. And it is a corrective experience mm-hmm. to say the least, but it's also terrifying and it, it's just a lot to have somebody look at you and just to know mm-hmm. what you need. Mm-hmm in what you're feeling and to help you make sense of it. Um, that to me is the experience of being seen. Yeah. Yeah. I love the phrase feeling felt. That's right. That's another dance. You go, he's good with the words. Yeah. So that's the scene of the four S's. And then the third one is soothed, which mm-hmm. I really like. Um, and soothing is this feeling of, you know, somebody meets us where we're at and we walk with the other through their emotions, whatever those are, yeah. without passing judgment, without trying to fix it, without trying to change their mind or change their feelings, but just being with them in the midst of whatever they're feeling yeah. and having this, uh, you know, we use this phrase co-regulation of, you know, my body is really present with your body. My heart yeah. is present with your heart. My mind is present way. with your yeah. mind. Yeah. We're meeting each other in this way. And when we're on the receiving end of that, it creates just this like lovely calming feeling of I can relax and be soothed in in the midst of this experience and let go of the fear let go of the pain not because the pain or the fear is not okay to be felt but because I have what I need in order to move through it and I like explaining it for people as a building blocks so okay safe is the first one so we're now we're in this container of safety that we just described the shelter exactly and in that shelter we're with another that can see us and see all that we feel and need and think and Mm -hmm. and do and whatever else and in that seeing they're able then to meet us with a soothing posture that they're able to actually approach us in a way that doesn't invalidate our emotional experience or our needs but actually meets us there and Mm -hmm. says you know i have help to give 
or just presence. Yes. I can just yeah. be with you right. if that's what you need. Yeah, I think a lot of times soothed is misunderstood as I someone's going to solve the problem for you mm-hmm. or give you all of the you know steps to take yeah. or take the problem away, just yeah. get rid of it, protect you from yes. it. But it's really about I'm comfortable enough with what I'm seeing and accepting enough of what I see that I'm going to step into it with you and yes. just exist in that with you. What you just described was co-regulation. The mm-hmm. first thing was codependence. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And the last of the four is secure. Yeah. And if the first three S's yes. are met, then security naturally emerges. Mm. It becomes a secure relationship because we're experiencing those first three S's in that safe container of the relationship. If those first three are reliable mm-hmm. and consistent, mm-hmm. security is, and this is Dan's, Dan's. That's <laughs> My this Dan. is Dr. Dan Siegel's <laughs> language, which is that. Security is then emergent. Right. It comes mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. the safe um, <laughs> consistency of uh, safe, seen, and soothed. Right. Um, as those are consistent and reliable, security is then emergent. And as a parent, this can be really encouraging to us because one of the things that we always worry about is I'm not doing it perfectly. Mm-hmm. And our body is sensitive to percentages. Mm -hmm. And so if we are, you know, 75% of the time Mm -hmm. offering these things consistently, we can still produce a secure experience for a child. It's going to be emergent um, in the sense that their little nervous system can analyze the situation and go, well, the vast majority of the time, mommy's tuned in to me. Mm. Mommy wants to hear what I have to say. And then you get a child that when you're missing it, she'll say to you, why are you being mean? <laughs> and you can go, oh, oops, yes, you're right. Yes. I'm being mean. Let me correct that and try again. And yes. so as long as we're doing it the majority of the time, we can still produce a secure attachment. Yeah. And without going into too much of a rabbit trail here, there is always like we will never do it perfectly yes and that's not the goal and no because when we when we are imperfect in that and then recognize their pain and come back and say that looks like that hurt you or that was upsetting to you and now i'm going to connect that's the same four s's security that repair of the hurt is the same as being seen and it can actually increase the strength and connection of that relationship Mm -hmm. because it has the you know, it, it takes away this performance element of saying it has to be perfect. And if I hurt you, well, that's on you. Right. right. But saying, no, I, I see that I hurt you in that. And you can come to me with yes. those hurt feelings. Exactly. And, or even with your anger. And we're still going to work through yeah. it together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that when, when we do that consistently and reliably, I think that that is something yeah. that produces a kind of security and safety in a relationship that is unlike anything it's else. So if I, like the people that I can say, hey, you pissed me off and here's why. Mm-hmm. Like that list of people is super short. Yeah. And the reason why it's so short is because it's not a common experience, yeah. especially as an adult, to find people that will do this with us and, and experience this kind of secure attachment. Um, but yeah. when we understand it, we can be a lot more intentional about creating this in our relationships that are important to us. Yeah. And I think finding a therapist is mm-hmm. a really good starting yes. place. If you're thinking, I don't know that I have anyone in my life that I can actually start this way. Yeah. Yeah. Finding a good therapist. Yeah. And that might take kind of meeting a few and, and screening what you're looking for. Feel free to interview but, therapists. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Listen to our first season. We talk yes. about that extensively. Yeah. But this is really beautiful work yeah. that can happen in a therapeutic relationship where it is safe. Yeah. Um, and beginning to build and this, that security. This comment is going to make you go back and listen to all of the podcast again. But <laughs> everything we just talked about is super, super true inside a therapeutic relationship. Yeah. Yep. Everything. The strategies, the nervous system, the attachment. It all, all shows it. up there. Both all the shows up. Yes. And the client. Yes. yes. So go back and listen again with that in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, that's true. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, so this was a very very thorough treatment but there's yes. still so much more That's, to say yeah, it wasn't thorough at all <laughs> as we close and i want to mention a resource that we offer here at beyond healing center of therapeutic healing retreats mm-hmm. um, and so if you're hearing this thinking there's some work i could do um, we do offer retreats where you can come to springfield missouri for three to five days and you stay here 
um, in a really nice environment where all of your needs are mm-hmm. met and it's comfortable, it's cozy, and we do intensive therapy work, yeah. um, mental health talk therapy as well as other trauma therapy, and then we integrate in the holistic healing approach. So we bring in body work like massage therapy, trauma-informed yoga therapy, um, acupuncture if needed, mm-hmm. Um, everything. We've got equine therapy as an option, so getting to work with other animals. Um, yeah, just the whole game. It's gamut. beautiful. It so is. So if that's something that you feel like maybe of interest to you or know of someone who could benefit from that, reach out to us at therapy at beyondhealingcenter.com and we'll be um, able to send you some more information on it. Yeah. Thanks so much, guys. Safe journeys, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Trauma, a psychotherapy podcast from therapists for clients about the journey of trauma recovery. While resources like this can be helpful, they should never take the place of or be used as therapy. We encourage you to find a trauma-informed therapist in your area to be your guide in this healing journey. Take a minute to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify, and we would appreciate it if you could leave us a review. You can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at beyondtraumapodcast.com. Thanks again for tuning in.